Again, last time I told y'all uh, that uh, I was Brandon Duncan, and if you didn't like any part of my sermon, to email me at Brandon Duncan. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm really actually not Brandon Duncan. Uh, I am Pete Stover. I'm one of the elders here at One Church. Uh, usually when you see me, I'm behind the drums, and everybody asks me why I don't have shoes on. Uh, <laughs> I'll get more into that later, but you're lucky I have shoes on right now. I hate wearing shoes. Um, so... If you, do, if you weren't here this morning, John Mark, uh, he spoke during the first service, and he's one of the other elders here. We had talked about two months ago, just kind of, hey, what, anything God's laying on your heart that we want to speak about, kind of keep, no, keep it somewhat on the same theme, and we both come up with this idea of truth. And, and what, what I'm sitting there looking at that's really neat is, so John Mark spoke about the truths of God, and it was about so much about his his providence, how he provides for us in times of need, how he's in control of everything, uh, sovereign God. And so these great points about God, and I'm sitting there going, I'm coming at a totally different angle, and I'm just like, how much good truth do we have about God? I mean, we, just, we can talk about it all day long. How good is God? And so that's kind of what I came away from that with. But uh, So back to the, the shoeless story. Uh, when I was born, I was naked. Apparently, I wanted to stay that way. They could not keep clothes on me as a baby. Uh, I was always diaper off, shoes off, and to this day, if I didn't have to wear shoes in public, I wouldn't. I would be a barefoot wonder. Uh, And so, I say that to say that uh, I heard this story from another preacher, and I'm stealing it from him, and so uh, this is not my own, but it was a true story. So, uh, this family, they had a, a baby, and the nickname was Pookie. And so Pookie was like me, had a bad habit of taking its diaper off. And so one day, mom, dad, everybody's cooking dinner, getting ready, and mom's spider senses go off. She can tell something's too quiet, what's going on. And uh, so she sends one of the older siblings, go check on Pookie. Pookie is in mom's bathroom, uh, diaper off, covered in some brown gelatinous material uh, head to toe. So the older sibling walks in, looks, says, I'm tapping out. I did not sign up for this. Pookie's covered in poop. So he runs to the bathroom and he's dry heaving. So in walks dad, like what's going on? Well, dad has an even weaker stomach than the son. And right now Pookie has stuff in his mouth and it's getting bad. And so dad is now hurling. So Who's the hero of the story? Mom. Moms are the heroes, always. So mom walks in, casually strolls by, turns the tub on and goes, Pookie, did you get mom's chocolate stash again? (laughs) I say that to say, point number one, what we believe to be truth will affect what we do. The baby's covered in chocolate. I would have gone over there and take a lick if I know that. Instead, we've got two people throwing up and dry heaving. So, as we dive into kind of this idea of truth, uh, what we know to be true or what we think to be true does not affect what we do as much as what we believe to be true. And I've got a perfect example of that. There's these little signs we drive by every day and they have numbers on them. Uh, We know that that number is the speed limit. Uh, we believe it when there's a cop behind us. So we know it's true. We 
look of it more of a suggestion maybe, 55-ish. I'm guilty. When the highway patrolman's behind you, it's always 54. I'm going to get down one below just, just to be safe, you know, want to be obedient here. Um, and so, so that, that concept, and that's kind of what I want to get drive, drive home is what we believe to be true will affect what we do. Um, and so in, in, in that same idea, when we look at God's word and God's truth, if we read it for knowledge to know it, it's going to be more like this, the speed limit signs. It's going to be suggestions for how we should live our life. When we believe it wholeheartedly, it's going to change our lives. We're going to follow it, and it's going to bless us. So, again, that idea that just drove home with me. I'm like, I'm still going to speed. I ain't going to lie. But I thought about that. I was like, is, are we looking at the Bible like a bunch of, hey, that's a good idea. I could get behind that, right? Or are we looking at like, this is truth. This is God's word. This is living water, the bread of life. Um, and so I think if we, if we view it that way, Hebrews 4.12 tells us God's word is living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it, it will pierce your soul if you'll let it. And so, uh, so that's point number one. Point number two, truth is under attack. I think most of us who have a gray hair or two, can attest to that. We've seen, been alive long enough to know there's been a change in our culture, in our world. Truth is under attack. Um, but what's funny is, is this is nothing new. This didn't happen recently. This uh, goes back a long way. As a matter of fact, Brandon preached recently on his life apps. If you were here for that, one of the life apps was, did God really say that? And he went back and we looked at Genesis, the very beginning. So if you would, turn in your Bible to Genesis 3. If you have one, if there's not one, grab it out of the seat in front of you. Genesis 3, 1. We're going to look at something. Um, so so when, when artists paint pictures, this, we're going to look at the fall of man. When artists paint pictures, it, they paint this picture of Eve just looking at the apple, and it's just so tempting she can't say no. And that's kind of how we perceive it. God made this apple so beautiful that she couldn't resist it, right? Well, uh, let's read and see what God's Word says. So Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... That's my serpent. I won't do that again. Uh, Did God really say that you must not eat... (laughs) Sorry. Uh, like a lead balloon. Um, did God really say that you must not eat from any, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, so, so this, is, this is known as the original sin or the fall of man. And while it's true... 
the fall of man happened when they ate the forbidden fruit. That's not where it started. If you, if you notice, it started when they believed Satan. When they decided to have a dialogue with Satan, and he was twisting the words, and they believed Satan over God's truth. That's when the fall of man started. So the truth would have, would have protected them from that fall, but they fell victim um, to, to God twisting that. Uh, the, the crazy thing is, Satan used the same tactic when he was tempting Jesus. I don't know if you, many of you know this story, but before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and preparing himself uh, for his earthly ministry. And at the end of those 40 days, Satan comes up to tempt him, to try to derail him. Uh, and so he's hungry, he's, he's worn out, uh, and he's starving. And so he tries to tempt him by twisting God's word and playing on his physical weaknesses, uh, which, again, he, he's starving. So, so one of the things that, that I think we need to realize is in today's society, we often, we kind of, we use this phrase like the devil made me do it or you ornery little devil. And, and I think we downplay just who Satan is. We forget that he is a real person. He is powerful. He is crafty. He's the father of lies. And he's out to destroy everything that God loves. You, me, the church especially. Anything that brings God, uh, honor to God, he is trying to bring it down, trying to destroy it. And uh, so that's what he's about. And so if you don't believe it, uh, what I would recommend you do is, is take that electronic device, put it down, and stop looking at everybody's rosy picture on social media and look at the truth around you. Divorces, climbing. We're finding new things to be addicted to that I didn't even know existed, like all these games and it used to just be, you know, alcohol and drugs, but man, there's, it's, we're finding new things. Uh, sex, is, sex is now casually known as hooking up. I mean, when did that happen? Uh, I might get in trouble because when we used to hook up, that meant a bunch of us were getting together at a location to like haul cattle or something. So I got to be careful how I talk to millennials. <laughs> Don't want to get near. So anyway, so society and Satan are now telling us there are no moral absolutes. There are no truths. Um, and so that's where we're going. So while, while, while I feel like that's true, and I, it, it shakes me a little bit. Keep in mind, this is not chicken little. The sky is not falling. As John Mark said, God is in control. So we don't have to worry about this. The end is written. But what does concern me a little bit is there's a study by a group called the Barna Group. And they've been looking at generational trends for a long time. And so the, the, the concerning thing is, no generation in the history of America has turned their back to Jesus as much as the millennial generation is. You know, there, there's usually a gap between young people, old people. I guess because we're about to kick the bucket, we figure we better get on Jesus' side. I don't know how that works. So there's always a gap. But the gap at millennials is higher than any before, and it's rising. Um, so make no mistake, we are under attack. And Satan is getting some foothold. He's gaining ground. Uh, have any of y'all ever played Risk, the board game? We, we recently downloaded it on our uh, uh, Wii. And, and 
it's a great visual. You know, oftentimes, there's a line of countries and a line of countries. And the Bible tells us, don't let Satan get a foothold. So what happens so many times in risk, if he can break through one line and get a country inside, then, then you can attack. And so we're under attack. And Satan is trying to penetrate, and he's gaining ground. But, again, the battle's not over and the war's not done. So we are under stack. The good thing is, point number three, there's a counterattack. So if we're under attack, God has equipped us with truth, a counterattack. So I mentioned earlier that that Jesus was tempted before his earthly ministry. So he'd been fasting for 40 days and was weak and tired. Uh, And so Satan come and tempted him three times. And so three times he replied with an answer that said, it is written. He replied with truth um, from God's word. That is how we fight the battle. We stand on God's promises and his truths. Um, the, the other uh, example I want to bring of that is Paul wrote about this um, in Ephesians 6.10. And so if you'll put that up there for me. So Jesus modeled it. Paul wrote about it. Uh, so while, while he was in prison, chained to a guard... Who, a Roman guard who's dressed and equipped and ready for battle. He looks over at this Roman guard, uh, be kind of like being handcuffed to a Navy SEAL today. I don't know. That's just kind of how my mind puts it, the Pete International version. Um, and so he looks over at this, and he equates the, the gear that he's wearing to the, the, the weapons that God has equipped him with. So let's, let's read this. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground kind of like risk, stand, hold the line, stand the ground. After you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, and with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Um, I'm not going to go on. He lists all the other, uh, the shield, the helmet, the shoes, the sword, and, and all that. But I, I found it odd that he looked, and he's like, the first thing he said was a belt. A belt? So... Again, so picture a Navy SEAL walks in, night vision goggles, AR-15, and you're like, dude, nice belt. Can I try on your belt? It's like, what about all the other stuff? And so it's like, it made me scratch my head. And so, so I was like, well, I, I know around here what belts are for. That giant buckle that you want at the rodeo, Right. Okay, yeah, they look like hubcaps. I've never understood that. Can you move wearing one of those? So, so they're for that. Uh, they could be for karate to show how many years you've been doing it. Or if you're like me and have no fashion sense whatsoever, it's a leather strap to hold your pants up. Uh, but there, there's something different. So, so it, again, it, it kind of, something didn't add up. So I got to digging around, looking at the background of this word. 
The word for belt in the Bible can also be used for something to gird up your loins. For you younger people, that's like underwear. It's like under armor before under armor. Get it? Under armor. He had armor. Thank you. So, so this word for belt is actually something you would put on first, right? The only cool person ever wears underwear on the outside was Superman. Rest of us got to keep it straight, right? I never got that. It's underwear on the outside. So the rest of us, we put our underwear on first. So when we prepare for battle, we put on our belt first. So, so it was a foundational thing. So you would you'd gird up your loins and put your belt on before you put everything else on. And so, so seriously, though, the, the, the truth is the foundation for everything else. Uh, so what, what I mean by that, let, let's go to point four. So belief in anything but the truth is worthless. You can believe with all your heart if you jump off the building, you're not going to die. Is that going to do you much good? Faith in the truth is what's going to work. That's what's going to benefit you. So again, to, in today's society, let's look at this. We have people like Oprah who tell us what? There's many ways to God. You kind of just, you just pick one, right? You kind of make God what you want him to be. Uh, I, I, I haven't read that in the Bible yet. Um, you also have the other end. We have many, many religions, and they're growing at a rapid rate. They'll tell you if you do enough, you can make God happy. If you'll pray enough, if you'll give enough, if you'll serve enough, if you'll, they, they'll give you a cookie-cutter recipe and say, if you'll do enough, you can make God happy. Again, I've, I haven't found that one in the Bible yet. Um, and then we've got something else working against us, especially here. The old red, white, and blue, right? I'm an American. I can do what I want to. I have rights. I can, I got the right to do whatever I want to. Um, last time I checked the Bible, it's telling us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Christ. I don't hear much about our rights. We've been bought at a price, as John Mark said earlier. Um, we are not our own, so we don't have those rights. So all of these are, these are concepts working against us in our society. I mean, how many, how many Oprah followers can you, I mean, her magazine goes out to, I don't know how many millions. I mean, people buy it by the droves. Again, some, I'm not going to get into naming them, but some of the religions that are growing the fastest do nothing more than, than create a, do this, don't do that mentality, and you don't trust, trust God for anything. And then the good old red, white, and blue. So I think society and Satan are all creating this, this lie, this, this false sense of truth that we can trust in. Um, so what, what does Paul say to, to refute that? He says, let's first put on your belt of truth, then rooted in truth, let's suit up for the battle. Let's put the rest of it on. Uh, so, point number five. Jesus is truth. He is the truth. John, John uh, 
Let's see, John 14, 6 comes to mind. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. And then the other day I was just doing some random reading, and I come across John 18, 37. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. He's being interrogated by Pilate. Just a little background. So he's been arrested. He's being interrogated by, by Pilate, uh, a little fake trial. And so the Jews have accused him of being a king. And that's how they want the Romans to see him as a threat because he thinks he's a king. And so Pilate has got him and he's quizzing him down and he says, you know, he's asking, are you a king? And Jesus answers, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the very reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Pilate scoffed. What's truth? To a society that doesn't want to hear it, that's the answer. What's truth? Jesus said, if you're on the side of truth, you do what? You listen to me. He's the source of truth. Um, And then finally, uh, we got John 1, 1, uh, 114. Says the word became flesh, made its dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay. So some of y'all are probably going, why why are we hung up on truth? Why all this focus on truth? You know, what how how is, how does this apply to me? And so something I've done I did really interesting this year that I've never done before is I read a book that looks at the Bible from a broader perspective, backs up and looks at concepts, who wrote this book, when did they write the book, what, what's the context of the book, who is it to, just kind of some, some of the broader pictures and broader terms. And so one of the things that really stood out to me as I was reading through, through the New Testament is the timeline of the early church and kind of what was going on, not just in the books, but around the books. And so, the, just, just a brief overview, for those of you young enough to know what, not know what B.C. and A.D. means, I'm going to throw some years out. B.C., we'll just use redneck terms, before Christ. A.D., after Christ. So, it's just after his birth, okay? So, Jesus was born, oddly enough, around 3 A.D., but we're just going to call it zero. Zero, one. One, one A.D., so Jesus was born. He began his earthly ministry somewhere around the age of 27. And so his earthly ministry lasted about three years. So somewhere around AD 30, Christ was arrested, crucified, buried, resurrected the third day. So he spent about 40 days on earth after that preparing his disciples for what was to come. And what was to come was the church. Uh, the birth of the church was coming. And so after 40 days, he ascends to heaven. And now these disciples are all kind of sitting there going, what do we do? Thankfully, shortly thereafter, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. We have Pentecost. Pentecost is where the Holy Spirit comes down. We have thousands come to Christ in a short amount of time. And that is the birth of the church. So we have the early church. The 
the key figure in the early church was Peter. Same old Peter that denied Jesus three times, that was prone to sticking his foot in his mouth. We never do that, right? He lived with one foot in his mouth. Uh, But here we are, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The other key figure that comes along is Saul, also known as Paul. He comes rolling in a few years later, and so he becomes the church planner. The, he goes out and reaches city to city, which shipwrecked, and he traveled as far as he could get around that globe. And so, again, Peter is kind of the leader at Jerusalem. Uh, Paul is the local church planner, and they, they get back together. And the other apostles are still serving and leading the church too. Um, but something, something that, that happens is, after about 30 years, this crazy emperor called Nero decides to cut Paul's head off and crucify Peter upside down. So, there, and it's rumored to believe, historians say it actually happened on the same day. Um, that he he executed both of them. And so, again, Nero was famous for a... Boy, he persecuted and and attacked the church in some crazy ways, uh, tortured Christians and and all this. Um, But John was the youngest of the apostles. And somehow, he lived 30 years longer than all the others. So, AD 60, let's just call it that, Peter and Paul and many of the other uh, apostles are dead. They're martyred. 30 years later, you've got John, who around this time gets uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Really crazy story. Historians say they tried to boil him alive. There's another crazy emperor that comes along later. They tried to boil him alive, and God provided, protected him, and like, People start coming to Christ because he wouldn't burn. So this emperor goes, I can't kill this guy. I'm going to put him on Alcatraz. So they put him on an island called Patmos to get him out of his hair. So what happens is, so Paul has, or Paul, pardon me, John has lived 30 years past the death of the last apostles primarily. And so he has seen the church grow over 30 years. How old is our church here? Seven? Seven years old. We're, we're a baby, and it's amazing what things God has done and we've seen in the changes in seven years. Uh, how many of y'all are 60 or above? Okay. What were you like at 30? Not too bad, right? How many of y'all are 50? What were you like at 20? Oh, my word. How different are we in 30, 30 years? 30 years of life experience. When we're looking at the Bible in these 2,000-year gaps, we forget. We don't see little... 30 years is a blip, but it affected things. So John wrote his letters 30 years after the other letters were written in the New Testament, primarily. And so he's seen the attacks. In the, if you notice the pattern with the early letters in the New Testament, the epistles especially, and Acts... The letters are focused on how do we keep our faith in persecution? How do we survive this? How can we keep the church growing even though we're being beaten, we're being stoned, they're taking everything we have? That was the gist, if you would, of those letters. How do we keep our faith? How do we grow in Christ so that we can withstand? 
So that was, the, again, big, big picture, paraphrase, kind of looking at it. And then you fast forward to John's three epistles. And the narrative, the theme is truth and love. Satan's, Satan changed his tactics. He thought he could just kill off the early church. He's like, if I, if I torture these guys enough, I'll get rid of them. It didn't work. So now he's got a new tactic. I'm going to infiltrate the church with false doctrine. We're going to twist God's word. We're going to divide and conquer. We're going to tear the church apart from the inside out. That's his tactic. And, and John sees that. So he writes his epistles and his letters. He's got, guys, you've got to cling to the truth. You cannot let Satan have a foothold and divide our churches. That's a tactic he's using today. So when you look at that, in, in that perspective, it, it just kind of it makes, it, makes you wonder, well, well, what truth, what truth are we missing today? What, what truth do we need to cling to today? I mean, again, there's so much truth in God's Word. The one thing, one of the things that I see today that has really changed over the last little bit, and that is the truth of just who is Jesus. You know, he, he's become a, I mean, some people, to some people it's a curse word you use when you smash your finger. I mean, the, word of, the name of Jesus has changed. Again, my old people, gray hair, the, 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 word, the name of Jesus has changed. So if you poll people today, you'll get a lot of answers. Who is Jesus? Some will say he's a good man. Some will say he's just a prophet. Some will say he's a fraud. He tricked everybody. And then some will say he's God in the flesh. Um, I think the, the thing that, is, that we miss that, that I want to say is when you look at God's word, it tells us Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That Okay, that's a weird phrase. Let me put it this way. When God spoke the cosmos into existence, Jesus was there. And he wasn't a cheerleader. He wasn't on the side going, go, daddy, go. The Bible tells us that he was actually a key part of creation. That the Bible tells us in him and through him, all things are created. Not only that, but all things are held together in Jesus. So he was, he's not a silent observer. And, and he's not just... He wasn't sent down for a brief little time to be, our, to be a sacrifice. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the, the name above all names. He literally, we owe every literal breath to him because if he didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't happen. So my question to you is, is that the Jesus we believe in? So in the Old Testament, God... God made no bones about it. He, had, he used Abraham and the chosen people, the Israelites. He used them for one purpose, and that was to bring glory to his name. And, and he told them, he said, you get to be a part of this. I'm going to let you in on the blessing, and I'm going to bless you. And all the nations around you are going to fear you, and they're going to know that I did it. And, and he said, don't forget for one second that I'm doing this for my glory. So God wanted all the glory. He's jealous God. In my opinion, he can have it. He deserves it. 
And so you'll see that trend all the way through the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament, and, he, and what you see is God says, all right, all the glory that was for me is now for Jesus. And then what's crazy is they play this crazy game. So have you ever seen two people so, so nice that they're like, oh, no, you're the best. No, you're the best. No, you're the best. No, what do you want for dinner? No, what do you want for dinner? Well, God and Jesus kind of do this. God's like, all the glory I want to give to the Son. And what does Jesus do? I can do nothing apart from the Father. There's this awesome relation of who gets the glory. Where does the strength and power come from? There's this telling me God, God the Father and Jesus, they're equal. They're part of the Godhead. They're three in one. Um, and so, but we do know this. We know that all the glory that God had desired in the Old Testament through the scarlet thread of redemption is due to Jesus. And so we know this. We, the Bible tells us Jesus is the name above every name. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And at his name, every knee shall bow. That's our Jesus. And so when we, when we lose sight of this truth, Jesus becomes our get-out-of-hell-free card and not our source of life. When we believe Jesus is who he says he is, it affects what we do. Remember point number one, the baby covered in chocolate? What we believe affects what we do. So that's why I think the truth, getting back to the truth of just knowing who Jesus is, believing that the word is true and what it says is true, it'll affect what we do. Matter of fact, I'll come back to that. So I'm getting ahead of myself. I can't, I can't jump my notes. Then I won't know what to say next. Okay. Um, so my question is, so if, G, if what we believe about Jesus affects what we do, one of my questions is, does what you believe about Jesus affect what you do? Does it affect your character? Your pocketbook? Your day planner? What we say when those church people aren't around? Same for me. This, I'm not exempt from this, just so you know. So does what you believe about Jesus affect what you do? Okay. Do we truly believe that Jesus alone has given us the power to overcome sin and death? That sounds like a crazy promise. Do we believe that? Do we truly believe that there is power in the name of Jesus and in what he's done and the life that he lived and the life that he gives us? There are a lot of people around this world that believe it enough to lay their life down. There are martyrs every day around this world, people that think that the name of Jesus is worth that much. Um, So one of my questions would be, what would it look like if the church went all in on the truth of God's word, taking it not as suggestions, again, not speed limit signs, but what, what if we were all in on loving people where they are as they are? I would say it would change the world. I would say it has changed the world. Think about this. Eleven misfits that got to hang around with Jesus spread the message of God around the world. Do you think they were all in? They believed. They believed that Jesus was, was who he said he And it took some time. They didn't get it right away. 
Those little boneheads, they messed up just like you and I do. But 11 misfits took the message around the world. So, I feel like we've been giving our mar- given our marching orders. So, I think the battle plan's there. We, we cling to the truth. I mean, it, we trust God to be who He says He is. We put our faith in Him and our hope in Him and let Him do the work. We don't have to do enough good things to please God. There is only one way, one truth, one life, and it's right there. So, the best kind of sermons in the world are the short ones, and that's what I tried to give you all today. So, so when you think about that, we have to daily put on our, our full armor of God. We have to trust fully in that God is the truth, that Jesus is the truth, and that we can put our faith in him. And, so we, and we have to put our armor on and get in the battle. We don't get days off. We'll drop the ball sometimes, but there are no days off in this battle. Okay? Don't go AWOL. All right, so I'm going to pray for us. And then if Brandon or any announcements uh, need to be done, then... We'll be dismissed, okay? Thank you guys for listening and laughing at some of my stupid jokes. <laughs> Father God, we just, uh, oh, we thank you that, uh, that you can be trusted, that you are true, you are faithful, uh, even when we're not. So, Father, we just, uh, we pray that uh, as, as we seek you through your word and through your truths, Father, help us to see them, not as just guidelines that, that might help us, but God is as the living word, as truth that can change our lives. And Father, that through, through your truths and through your words, we can change the world around us. Father, we pray that you'll give us the heart to do that. Um, Father, I just pray for, for those here who, who might not know just how good you are, how faithful you are, and, and that, that your love is never-ending and, and endures forever. Father, I pray that uh, if anyone doesn't know that, you will reveal that to them. Uh, today. And so, Father, we just, uh, we ask you to, to use us as your hand and feet. And God, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.